You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. You know, I love that song that we, uh, that, that we ended our time of worship with, and I think it's just such a powerful declaration. I will build my life. Everything included, the windows, the doors, the shingles, the plumber, you know, like the, the, the toilet, whatever. Everything about this thing I build is going to be rooted in who God is and his love. And because of being rooted in God, I won't be shaken. You know, I'm not here to preach that song, but, you know, I had this thought just now. I think we're shaken so much, and it ties into the message, I promise, Pastor Adam. Uh, I, I think we're so often shaken because we're forgetting who our first love is. We do, it's like we disconnect ourselves from God, and then we're all shaken up. But the love of God is so absolute, so complete in Jesus, that if our life is built on Jesus, you can take my health, you can take my car, my job, I can get a 3.9, it's okay, overachievers. <laughs> Whatever you do to me, you can't shake me, because you're not my source. I'm just so encouraged by that song, and... You know, I always make a joke. It's like, man, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit knew what I was preaching today and just connected a song. Isn't God awesome in his sovereignty? I love when worship and the message just flow as one because all of it's worship of a holy God. That's enough of the pre-message to the message. It's an honor to be here today continuing in your guys' series through Acts. Uh, I, I made a joke, kind of somewhat humbly, somewhat true, that I'm a huge fan of you guys. That really is uh, absolutely true. Uh, you guys raised like a lot, Pastor Adam, and you guys raised a lot of money, and it was beautiful, and it was so encouraging to me. We were in a season at Canvas uh, where the people we thought we were going to reach were not the people we reached, and I was like, man, I have all these needs and not enough workers, and we were training people for ministry, but we couldn't train them fast enough to, to handle the, 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 the homeless needs and the, the people we wanted to love in a way that would reflect Jesus, but we just couldn't love them well the way we were structured. And uh, we were trying to hire an executive pastor, a man who had mentored me and really was like a father figure to me and poured into me. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I need to raise $25,000 more and I don't know how to do it. And I was like, you know, I know a guy who raised a lot of money. So I actually had a Zoom with your pastor and he's sitting there with his legs up on a desk throwing a baseball. <laughs> and I say, I, say, I say, man, how do you raise money? And he said something to the tune of, you don't have a money problem. You know, you know, very soft, you don't have a money problem. It's just money. And I'm like, no, 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 but like, I need, I need money. And he's like, yeah, have you asked God for it? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, 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 but give me practical steps. And uh, the end of the conversation was this, uh, maybe a 40-minute Zoom where he said the same thing 20 times, and I asked more questions that he gave me the same answer to, but it was so beautiful because his challenge to me was to trust that if God wanted it to happen, God already had the money and that God would provide. So I'm hugely honored to be here, and I thank Pastor Adam just for his uh, influence. Probably one of the top five encouraging conversations I've had since launching the church, it's God. So we just got to ask and trust that he will accomplish it. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 34, and just a quick recap. Paul is ministering to the Gentiles and Macedonia and Greece, and uh, this all bunch of crazy stuff happens. He has a vision to go to Macedonia. Lydia gets converted. Hey, if you're not caught up, read the book and talk to a pastor. They'll catch you up. Also, your sermons are probably online. The earth shakes to free Paul and Silas. You know, how crazy is it? We often put our hope and our trust in things like our heart, 
follow your heart, they say. Your heart breaks. <laughs> you just got to trust Mother Nature. That's a spiritual thing. I know. Trust Mother Nature. Like, put your feet in the dirt type thing. And I'm like, the earth breaks, okay? Earthquakes are scary, right? Like, like all these things we're told to trust. How about this? Uh, you know, tough metal. The Philippian jailer rescued from suicide by God's grace. There's not an issue in the world the Bible doesn't address. The mob that wants to kill Paul. <laughs> the Bereans' reception of the gospel. In the book of Acts and in Paul's ministry, we see the gospel uh, overcoming obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. The rich, the poor, the marginalized, the esteemed, the man, the woman are brought to a saving faith in Christ. Meanwhile, <laughs> demons and officials <laughs> and iron bars are all defeated in a glorious pursuit of God to the nations. I want to encourage you with this, that God cannot be bested. He can't be defeated. And you guys will say amen to that, right? That God is supreme, deserves all the worship, and that our hearts should be his first. The problem, church, and what we see in this text is that oftentimes the words of our mouth do not reflect the spirit, the, 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 the way we carry ourselves or our soul. And I say this because I think some of the things in this message are hard, but I also think they're grace-laden. I think Paul's, what I know, Paul's about to face one of his, uh, another obstacle, and it's the wisest men on earth. I mean, so Paul's in Athens, and to understand that Athens is like the cultural supreme melting pot of the old world. You know, you have Roman gods and Greek gods, and some of them are the same, but some of them aren't. You have, you have traders coming from all over the world and philosophies and the smartest of the smart, like you 4.1 overachievers, you all hang out in Athens while us dumb kids are in the back of the bus, okay? Like, like, you, like this is the place you want to be if you're intelligent, yet that intelligence is an obstacle to them knowing God. And I'm not saying intelligence is bad. I believe wisdom comes from God. I believe we should pursue wisdom. I believe that the Spirit leads us to become wiser through knowing Christ. But the problem is wisdom can lead to pride. And I think in this story we see just how broken our prideful wisdom can be and how gracious and kind Christ is. I love that in the scriptures we never really see a time where God's judgment is without God's mercy and grace. There's always a hand extended. Pray that the Lord would reach those hard-to-reach parts of our heart, not the part that easily sings on Sunday, but the part that we tuck away at 3 a.m. when we can't sleep because we feel like we're not enough or we're too anxious or worried or we're depressed. I, pr I pray that that part of your heart is pierced as we jump into the Lord's word. Verse 16 says this, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, waiting on Silas and Timothy, Paul is without the homies. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. What day? Every day. Don't tell me you don't have time to share the gospel. Every day. Paul's in the city and he looks around and he sees all these beautiful, gorgeous, wonderful temples. He sees all these absolutely breathtaking sights. And he's angry. He, he's frustrated. He's uneasy. Why? Because these beautiful things are not the most beautiful thing, yet they're being worshiped as gods. And if you don't get it, how many of you would want to go to Greece? Come on now, let's be real. Okay. 
So many of the beautiful things that even I long to see in Greece were once worshiped as gods. So Paul's standing there where people are putting all their hope in these marble statues and these thoughts and ideas that have nothing to do with Jesus. And he gets angry or frustrated. So he starts sharing the gospel. I love that Paul's response to the frustration of the world around him is to share the gospel. Paul didn't go on Facebook and complain. <laughs> Paul shared the gospel. And where did he go? You know, I, uh, you guys have RCC 101. We have Canvas track and we'll share and we'll say, hey, one of the things that we believe members of the kingdom and members of the local church should do is share the gospel. We, we, we say, if you are a disciple, you are called to be a disciple maker. And I get asked this question often, but pastor, where do you find lost people again? Where can I find people who don't know Jesus? My simple response to you is the supermarket, <laughs> your neighbor, the, your family members. Paul doesn't go to the most beautiful place in the beginning of this story. He does in the end, but he's just at the market. In this melting pot of belief, he's just sharing the gospel. It says some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him along with the devout and the Jews. That says in verse 17, he just happened to be there. So he shared the gospel there. Where should you share the gospel? Wherever you are. Who should you share it with? Whoever God puts there. He's sharing with the Jews. He's sharing with the devout persons. He's sharing with the Epicureans. They're a part of a philosophical belief. They believe this, that the chief thing in life, the greatest good is pleasure. So in other words, if it feels good, it's great. So, so they would live their lives as hedonists and not in the cool John Piper way, but in like a really nasty, messy way. Desiring God was so formative, okay? Uh, th th there's, this, there's this thing they do where they, they abandon everything for the, for, for, the sake of, for, for the sake of happiness. And that's very contrary to the gospel that Paul's about to preach. Then you have the Stoics who believe that happiness and fulfillment came from virtues. And I think every single one of us in this room probably lean one of these ways. If you just live a good enough life, if you, if you just do the right things, you'll be happy. Quite honestly, these two belief systems are rampant in our society. That, that, that we should just do what feels good, follow your heart, your heart breaks, or, or we should just live these rigid, righteous, self-righteous lives for we can have some enjoyment in our acts. And Paul's about to preach a very, very different gospel. We read on, it says this, and some said, what does the babbler, like a chicken pecking the ground, looking for something to say, what does the babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Praise be to God that Jesus is not a foreign God, that he's a present God, that he's the God of Jew and Gentile, that, that when Jesus is ascending to heaven in Matthew, we see him give the great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He claims all nations because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Also notice this, Paul is not preaching a gospel that's easy on their ears. He's not preaching a gospel that doesn't offend. He's preaching a gospel that says you're a sinner and the wages of sin is death. But there was a king and he willingly forbade his crown for a period for he could die for you, a criminal, a slave's death. Why? For you would not be a criminal before God and you wouldn't be a slave to your sin. Paul is preaching a gospel that would be revolutionary to them. He's not trying to find a better gospel. An encouragement to you, RCC friends, is that you shouldn't try to find a better gospel. The gospel is good enough because it is the greatest news. There is no better God and there is no better gospel. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died for sinners and that if we put our faith in him and follow him, scripture says we have eternal life and that God in his infinite love and goodness has prepared a way for us in him. That's the gospel Paul preached. 
And he had every reason to come up with a cooler gospel, but he didn't because there is no cooler gospel. They took him and brought him to the, uh, wow, second service, I can't remember how to say it. Aropagus, we're going to say it. Man, first service I had it, second service I lost it, it's fine. Uh, it's all the water I've been drinking. And they took him and brought him to the Aeropagus. Uh, some would call that the Hill of Ares or the Hill of Mars, not Mars Hill like the podcast, Mars Hill, as in a place where they would worship that God, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. These people were searching for something. They were seeking something. They would constantly trade between the Roman gods and the Greek gods and Oriental gods that had trickled in and philosophies or a new philosophy, or maybe we should just worship this hero. Everything was based around who do we worship, what's our purpose in life, and they were constantly searching for meaning. And if that does not sound like us, then I don't know what does. Paul goes to this place where he's to share the gospel, where they invite him in. Why? Because he's saying something that's strange. Church, have you ever thought about how strange the gospel is? I'll tell you this story. When I first uh, came to Christ, it was right before the Easter Good Friday season. And when I got saved, I uh, didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, the church loved me really well. So I radically, I'm like, hey, I will serve first, second, and third service. I don't care. Oh, you need me to watch kids? Okay, I don't, I don't like kids. I can't do that. But I'll do everything else in the church. Like, I will literally scrub toilets and scrub toilets. I did. Uh, but, but, but I went to Good Friday service, and I, I understood that Jesus died. Like, I knew the gospel. You know, like, I, I, I understood what I believed enough. But when the pastor was going on and on and on about Jesus dying, and I was like, why do we call this good? And I'm like, yeah, God died. What makes that good? And I'll never forget Pastor Danny at the, at the church that Christ found me at. Uh, he ended his message with this. Good Friday is good because the goodness comes from God wiping out the sin of man. And, and, and I was so, like, mind blown. Good Friday is good because it tells the story of God loving you enough to die for you. Good Friday is good because God did what you couldn't do. Good Friday is good because it did what all the idols we worship can't do. It saved us. And I was blown away by that. The Athenians and the foreigners, verse 21, who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They were constantly obsessed. What is new that we can find? What's the next best shiny thing? You know, our church has a lot of college kids. And I was a youth pastor for a time. And, you know, I'm kind of guilty of trying to be cool. You know what I mean? So I'm like, hey, what words are cool now? Like calling someone your slime is being your boo thing. You know what I mean? Like you're my slime. My wife would slap me if I called her slime. I remember Nickelodeon slime. You know what I'm saying? But but, but one of the things that I, that, that, that I got told by some of our college-age students at our church, and uh, I oversee teaching and worship and uh, college ministries at Canvas, and one of the things they said to me was, Pastor, you dress like an old dad. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, skinny jeans are for old men. And, and I was blown away, because now the fad, in case you guys didn't know, at least where I'm from, where cows are traffic jams, uh, the, the, the fad nowadays is baggy, light, like acid-washed pants. I was like, oh, it's back to the 90s. Okay, I get it. But like, like, like things constantly change. The problem is when our hearts are attached to something that constantly changes, we have no steadfastness. Like you guys just sang a song, I will build my life upon your love. And Lamentations says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. But if you attach your love to something that changes, you attach your life to something that changes, you have instability. Why do you think we're so tired and anxious all the time? Because we say, Jesus, here's enough of my heart that I'm saved, that, that I love you, that I come to church, that I give, that I, that I serve, that, that, that I do all the stuff that people see, but behind the curtain, here's all the stuff I don't do that people don't see. Here's all the ways that I don't pursue you, Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus still pursues you. We wonder why we're so anxious and tired. 
Because sometimes the song we sing on Sunday is not the song our soul sings. Because we're better at showing faith than living faith. Because we're better at amening than we are at amening and responding and the result being a changed and renewed heart. But the good news is Jesus pursues us. These people, they're asking this question in their heart. And I believe we ask this question today, whether you're a believer or not. I believe that we're made in the image of a maker and therefore we naturally call out to him with every part of our being because we're made in the image of God. And this question is, where is God? And what is my purpose? Everybody asks that all over the world. Why do you think there's so many religions? How did we get here? How did this happen? And, and, and everyone from a, from a Muslim to a, to a Buddhist to a, to a Christian, we all say we have the answer. And we all say we have words that have power. But praise be to God that our word became flesh and that he's not dead in a grave or a tomb. J- Jesus is the God who came and died. But these Athenians, they're, they're sitting there and they, they're always debating, always talking, searching for meaning. They're desperately reaching out to find the purpose of everything. It sounds like Facebook. It sounds like Twitter. It sounds like angry millennials on Twitter. It, it, what now? What now? Politics and religion and faith and, and life and everything is just constantly being badgered against, against itself. But, but it all comes down to who is God? What is God? The, these questions led them to a pantheon, hero cults, philosophical units that debated everything. They were a melting pot of belief. What does that sound like? I want you to notice something. Paul in this place is still preaching very simply. Christ and the resurrection. You see, the Athenians who had all these answers and all these thoughts, they didn't need a more clever gospel. They didn't need a smarter gospel. It doesn't matter what your IQ is. The gospel is the gospel. They didn't need a gospel that was more logical. They just needed the gospel to be present. They needed the gospel to be presented and shared with them. Church, the world around you doesn't need a better or more clever gospel. The church around you needs the gospel. The, the, church, the, the world around you, rather, needs the gospel, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, being born of the Virgin Mary, the Apostles' Creed, dying and resurrecting, and in that there being life. So Paul, verse 22, he goes to this place, the Oropagus, the, the place where people debate and badger constantly with new ideas. He's standing in the midst of the Oropagus. He's surrounded by statues and temples and religious symbols. He's, he's surrounded by all these beautiful things, but all these beautiful things are dead and they're rock and they're marble and, and they have no life in them. He, he, he's standing in this image, and, and I imagine it just Paul standing there and all these different ideologies that people worship, and this is his sermon. And I think Paul was the man, because I would have been terrified in this, in this context. He says, men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. And I can only imagine those wise men, yes, we are, we're smart. We, we ate our Wheaties. We had our brain weedies, like we are smart, like, like, like they were so boastful in their ideas and so intelligent in their, in their falsehoods. They were so prideful in what they knew. And Paul says, you're very religious. You spend a lot of time doing religious things. You, you do a lot of stuff. And that stuff I see. He goes on to say this, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. He goes on to say, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I 
proclaim to you. Paul is using something he saw on his walk to teach them a valuable point. Now think about two things here. One, the unknown God. It's, it's like saying we have all these gods, and just in case we missed one, we got a statue reserved for this bad boy. It's like, it's like when you, you go to like the local pizza joint. I don't know if y'all have these in Baltimore, but where I'm from, there's like pizza places love putting up pictures from local sports teams. And, and this one pizza place, it, it has a, like a, a plaque, and it has a space for each year who the winning football team was from Salisbury, because we have three high schools, and I know that's not a lot, sorry. We have Cal traffic backups. Uh, but, but there's like inscriptions left open. Why? Because more teams are going to win. You get what I'm saying? So they're like, this was 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002. And they just, they just put a new plaque on. And they're treating God like that. <laughs> well, just in case there's another one, we have a statue ready. We d- knock the dust off that bad boy. We just put a name on it. How ridiculous is that? How wild is that? How wild is it to live your whole life waiting for another God to come and help you out? Because we need to have another God. Like, actually, let's sit there for a second. And just in case there's another one, we're ready. Got it. They're so religious, they have a a statue for the God they forgot. Paul goes on to teach, and I want you to remember that idea, how ridiculous is it to, to, to have a statue for another God, just in case you forget one. Or maybe there's another God who's gonna come and save you and help you, and you just gotta be ready for him to come and help you. The God who made the world, Paul goes on, and everything in it, Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul's telling them, and this is wild, he's saying this this, this idea you have, this polytheistic world where there's a God for everything, that's not true. There's one God who made everything. He doesn't need help. So not only is what he's presenting to them wildly crazy because it's the gospel, it's wildly crazy and it's also very countercultural. There's one God, and he doesn't need help. He doesn't need a God of war and a God of trade. and a God. He just needs to be God, and he already is God, and actually we need him. Paul's saying he doesn't live in temples. He doesn't need anything that human hands can provide. Imagine if your God needed your help. You know, sometimes I get nervous about the way we preach about evangelism. Uh, there, there's like this trend. It's like, God needs you to go reach the nations. No, no, God told you to go reach the nations. God actually doesn't need your help. But God wants to use you. Why? Because that's what he wants to do, because he's sovereign. Because he likes using broken vessels to tell great stories. If God needed you, he wouldn't actually be God. You know, one of the most helpful things I was told when we planted a church was God grows the church, you preach the gospel and be faithful in the process. And you know how much stress that takes off in a world that's number obsessed? I'm going to preach the gospel and people will come and we're going to share the gospel and we'll challenge people but God grows his church. Church, I want you to be encouraged by this, that God does not need you, he wants you. Like God is not the desperate boyfriend that wants you to text him back because he's lonely and Fortnite servers are down. (laughs) Come on now, man, don't act innocent. I see you playing Fortnite. Pastor SBY, add me, I'm kidding. I'm not actually kidding at all. I love Fortnite. God is not in need of you. Like God doesn't need your worship to sit on but he would rather make your worship a throne. Like God is not saying, oh, I just wish somebody would love me back. God says, I'm gonna pursue you and love you and my love is transformative and my spirit will dwell in you and my son will die for you. And in that, we learn what love really is. Hey, newsflash, if, you're, if you feel like you need your significant other, if you feel like without them, especially if you're dating, your whole life would be ruined, and you'd have nothing to live for. 
Let's be honest. If you feel like you'd have nothing to live for without your significant other, there's a huge problem because we live for the gospel. If we need it, it's hard to say we really, really want it. And we often mistake our wants and our needs. God doesn't need you, he wants you. And there's nothing you can offer him that he can't get on his own. But we worship in response to his kindness and love for us. Paul's telling them that their gods aren't served by the hands of humans. If God needed me, there'd be no hope for cancer. If God was waiting on Richard Pope or you to do the right thing to be able to, to, to do something for he feels good. For, it's like God needed you to give him Chef Boy RD, right, or feed him. He wouldn't be God. And anything we make is inherently breakable. Why? Because broken people create broken things. That's what makes the church so beautiful. God ordained this institution that has its low points and its high points. But the glue that holds us together is the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm in awe looking out at you guys how diverse you are. Some of you probably have nothing in common with the people near you. You're like looking around now, like, is he talking about me? I'm talking about all of you. But the Holy Spirit is here at this very moment, and God's with his people. That's why people can worship in Chinese, in Spanish, in English, in Japanese, in, in, in any language under the sun, because we're worshiping a God who doesn't need anything from us, but is sovereign and has everything. So Paul tells them that, that God needs nothing from you, and then he says this, and he made from one nation, verse 26, made from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Paul's saying he doesn't need you, but he's with you. He's saying God does not need anything from you, yet still he's involved in your life. In fact, he's saying the very nations, their time frame is allotted and appointed by God. And that's what we mean when we say God is sovereign. God has been involved in every moment in human history, and he's never been surprised. And he's good and loving. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each of us for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. That last line, for we are indeed his offspring, came from a stoic uh, named Aratus. And he, he was saying we're all bound by the same cosmic force to do good. That, that, that was their belief, that, that, that you do good and you have happiness because of it. It's a works-based ideology that says you have to do enough to have peace. And Paul shatters that. What's interesting here is I love the way he says, like, you're stumbling around looking for God. The question again is, where is God? And don't tell me you've never asked that. I think believers ask that still in our hearts. Here's why. If you watch the news and see about another school shooting and you don't wrestle with mortality or how bad this world can be, or rather this, if you've ever gotten a bad health diagnosis, and you don't wrestle with where God is in your suffering or your pain. In fact, I want to tell you something. If you never wrestle with God, you might be missing out on some really great time to learn from his spirit. In Lamentations, we see, we, we see the writer absolutely devastated by everything around him, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. After frustration and heartbreak, sometimes I think our greatest revelation comes, that God is still present. But, but we cry out, where is God? And we, often we build things, right? When we feel distant from God, we create gods to feel close to. So if we have to go to battle, the idea is we're just gonna create a God, Mars, Aries. And, and this God, well, he'll help us in battle. Oh, now we have to trade. We'll create a God for this. They're just stumbling around. Hello, anybody out there? Are you, hello, are you over here? 
Like, think about that. They just stumble, looking to hopefully find God. They're, they're looking around, reaching out for something, and when they can't find something or touch something, they create something. Because we have to feel loved by someone. I believe that humans, we were created to be known and know God. I, I believe we were created with the thumbprint of God on us, and that's love. And when we don't feel that love from God, when we don't understand, when we're not connected with apart from the Holy Spirit and Jesus, I feel like we just wander. But the beautiful truth here is that Paul's saying that God is not distant, that, that, that he's been there the whole time, that he's present in the midst of the best and the worst that we face. If I could give you one encouragement, it'd be that God is just as sovereign when the news is bad as he is when the news is good. And that's not on my notes. That's something straight from my own time in God's word. That, that, that God is not surprised by a cancer diagnosis or a foreclosure. That God's not surprised by a bad grade. God, God's not surprised by whatever in your world goes wrong. Instead, God has planned for it. He's ready for it. Why? Because he's God and you're not. And all you have to do, and I keep thinking of that song, is, is root yourself in the love of God and continue to build upon that foundation. There's no earthquake that can shake the foundation of God. And Paul's challenging them with this gospel, verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He's saying this while he's surrounded by gold and silver and stone. He's telling them that all this stuff you have is nothing. All of it's worthless. God is not in that stuff. Can you imagine a God that lived in a, in a statue? I could take a sledgehammer and break it. Imagine a God that relied on your good deeds. Don't ever do this, but you could take a sledgehammer and crush somebody. I did not recommend that. Please. But any God that can be crushed by a tool of man was never actually God. He's standing surrounded by gold and silver that can be melted, statues that can be destroyed. In fact, many of them have been destroyed and he's saying none of this stuff is actually God. If we're from God, we should know God because a man should know his father. We should know our creator. He's challenging the very essence of their belief system that God is not something you reach for. Instead, God is someone who reached for you. That God is not something that you have to bow down to, although we should bow down to God who is him God, but not the stuff God. We don't bow down to statues. We, we, don't, we don't do these things to try and earn the joy or earn the, the love of God. God freely gives his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the unrighteous or the ungodly. He doesn't wait for the perfect, cleaned up version of you. There's a quote that I'm going to share, and I'm just going to say right now, you guys are probably smarter than me, and I'm going to butcher the name, even though me and my father-in-law practice in the car right up here. I read his books. I can't say his name. I'm from a place where a cow is called traffic jams, Okay. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche uh, says this, is man merely, I know guys, it's fine, okay, is man merely a mistake of God's or God merely a mistake of man? In, in other words, what he's saying is this, is, is did God create man by accident because we break a lot of stuff? Or did man create God and was that a mistake? Like, did God come from us? Is he just some idea we had? Again, he's not a Christian, he's an atheist, but he believes something very similar to what your atheist neighbor's belief. See, see, he's a philosopher, and he's capitalizing on this idea that we're just a mistake here by accident, that, that, that we just happen to exist. Poof, there's a kid. Poof, there's somebody. Oh, there's someone over there now. Poof. 
He, 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 he's saying that, that if we are just here by accident, then God must be an accident man created. He, he's saying that God is just something that came from us. It's the idea that we created God, and it's not so different than what the Greeks believed. But can I be very honest with you, church? We still create gods today. And when we don't admit those gods when we're at church singing songs. We honestly don't want to admit those gods in our small groups or stoop groups. I think that's what they're here. So trendy, so hip. I love it. What are my stoop group? You guys are so cool. You're so cute. Uh, I love it. I'm just stealing stuff. I'm going to go home and be like, we have cow groups now, Canvas. We don't got stoops. We got cows. Chickens. I got nothing to say there. Hey. Sorry, Pastor Adam. Hey, uh... We laugh, we laugh, we laugh, we laugh, but we do it. I want you guys to put your hand in your pocket real quick, and you're going to find a cell phone, aren't you? And probably the first thing you do when you wake up is open your cell phone and look at your notifications. Don't tell me I'm wrong. I, I know that's not all of you, but it's me, okay? I, am, I, I do that. I'll, I'll give you another one. Uh, our jobs, our security is found in our income, right? Young professionals, I see a lot of you in the room. That, that marks our age group, that we desperately want to feel security, whether it be our house, our mortgage, our, our rent, our, our car payments, our Dave Ramsey tapes that we watch on repeat, or we ignore Dave Ramsey and he gets mad at us, he like stares from the corner, don't buy another car. Uh, we, 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 if you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, I'm sorry. But we, 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 we find security in all of these things. I think that sometimes God allow stuff or take stuff from us, depending on how you want to word that. I think sometimes he does that to show us that he's actually God and we don't need that other stuff. Hey, if the first thing you do in the morning is check your phone and you sit there for 10 minutes scrolling the TikTok, please tell me, like, don't tell me that you don't have time to spend time in God's word. Don't tell me that you don't have time to pray. We, we base and root our lives in things that are so unstable. You can have the best job in the world with the best degree in the world and, and one, one crazy act could change your life. You could lose your job. Your phone could break. Oh my gosh, the millennial Gen Z dilemma. My phone might not have a charger. I'll give you some more practical ones. Our, our spouses will sometimes become our God. Or, or our kids. Hey, can I tell you something? Good things are not God. But when a good thing is treated like a God, it takes over your life. And I love my wife very dearly. And I hope she doesn't watch this. But you know what I learned in two years of marriage? Because I don't know a lot. You know what I learned? That marriage reveals just how imperfect people are. And my wife's lovely and I love her and she's amazing and she's a gift of God and a grace in my life. But my wife's not perfect. We have said things that hurt each other. I've been frustrated. There's been slammed doors. There's, there's been tears. And that's all your marriages. Don't judge me. But if my God was my wife, my God would be imperfect. Sometimes when my wife is sick, I like to make her soup. God doesn't need me to make him soup. Because God doesn't need anything I have to offer. But he welcomes me with open arms like a good father. Don't let anything be your idol. John Calvin said this, the human heart is a factory of idols. In other words, you will produce idols constantly. Your heart, follow your heart, Facebook. Your heart will constantly produce things for you to worship. Why? Because you were made to worship, but sin has gotten in the way, so we worship stuff. 
Why? Because we constantly ask this question, where is God? Don't lie to me. You ask it, where is God? Why can't I feel him? I had someone ask me once, one of our college kids, Pastor Pope, I love College kids are the most respectful people in the world. That's been my experience. Pastor Reverend Pope. Uh, everybody else is like, Richard. Uh, Pastor Pope, why do I only feel God when I worship at church? Come on now, you ever thought that? How come it only feels like the Holy Spirit when there's a bunch of people together? Two things. One, I believe that there's something about crowds inherently that God wired in our brain, and I think it's for the good of the church. But two, I also think that the Holy Spirit's with us in a special way when we gather on Sunday or in worship. I believe that. So my response had nothing to do with what they felt and everything to do with how they thought. Why do you only think God is there when you feel him? Right? If you're married and there's a covenant that says you claim each other and you're in two different places, are you still married? And hopefully your spouse and you still love each other. The love of God is not limited by distance though. And God is constantly present, but when we can't feel him, we start trying to find something to hold on to. When life feels unstable and we don't have a divine heavenly hand reaching down, we start grabbing the stuff around us. We start looking for something to hold on to. Our response to feeling a disconnect from God is to try and make more gods. For the Christian, this is especially dangerous. It leads us to do things like this. Not, not now, Jesus. I'll share the gospel with my coworker after I get this promotion. Or, or watch this one. Not now, Holy Spirit. I, I know you're leading me to, to, to do this. I, I know you're leading me to come out of my comfort zone. I know you're leading me to take a leap of faith. I, I know you're leading me to make a God-sized ask, but not right now. Why? Because I'm comfortable. I think the greatest God that's worshipped besides, or the greatest false God that's worshipped, I believe it's comfortability. We so desperately want to be comfortable. We so desperately believe we are granted this type of life. It's the American dream, right? And anything that takes that away from us is horrible. But what if God's not calling you to have the American dream, but instead a kingdom-sized dream? What if I have to lose a little bit now to receive the greater of glory? What if my present sufferings are producing for me a glory I'll experience there? What if God is calling you to be uncomfortable in your worldly circumstances for you can know him more? What if God is asking you to let go of the stuff and hold on to him? See, in this story, Paul is waging an absolute war on idolatry. And he never picked up a sledgehammer. Why did he fight with the people and not the statues? Because the statues were rooted in the heart of man. It's man that wants something to worship. And instead of worshiping Jesus, we worship stuff. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Christ Jesus. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul's saying that, that Jesus was raised from the dead and that is the stamp of approval that this was an act of God. I don't know about you, but I have never seen a dead man raised to life, but I would definitely believe someone if I saw it happen. Jesus raised from the dead in verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And still today, some will mock. Again, remember, what's Paul preaching? Christ crucified and resurrected. And if you're mocked, thank God that your identity is not in people, but instead in God. Don't let your idol be the people around you, because they will fail you. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius the Arab, uh, Areopagite, there it is again. First service took it out of me, Pastor Adam, I'm sorry. And a woman named Damaris and others with them. 
The question I have for you this morning is this, what did they believe? They believed that the invisible God was made visible in Christ, that he's not hiding from us. They believed that our sins were paid for by our beaten, bloody Savior who resurrected. They believed that we can live with assurance because of the resurrection, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, I can stand here and say that cancer can take me, but it can't take me forever. That, that my God can heal me, and you can say that too, by the way. That's a God-sized boast. They, they, they had an answer to their question, where is God? Their searching hearts were told that God is not distant, he's not in stuff, but he's present. That the same God who paints the galaxies just by thinking them into existence, just by thinking they're there, they, that he lives inside of us. That, that the same God who created the world lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. Praise be to God. That they, they believe that the same God who defeated sin, doing the impossible, crushing the head of the snake, fulfilling every prophecy ever made about him. They, they believe that that same God lives at the right hand of God, Christ Jesus, interceding for us even now to this day. Praise be to God. They believe that the same God who gave his only son so that he could adopt you in an enormous cosmic extravagant. I mean, it's a billboard for eternity. God is love. He, they believe that that same God is sovereignly working all things out for all those he loves. And guess what, church? Even still today, praise be to God. Band, we'll go up here and uh, close in worship. But before I pray, I want to share just one more thought with you guys. There's a prayer that I've been challenging our church to pray uh, and it came from actually the day I was told the cancer's terminal. And I, uh, I didn't share this in first service, but I got a little choked up earlier. And uh, my favorite Bible story, 2 Samuel 9, read it later. But you see David show kindness to the grandson of Saul. And, and in that scripture, it says that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Basically, the enemy of God is now a child of God. Uh, and and in, what's awesome in that story is Mephibosheth's response to God is, is, or to King David rather, is you're the king, you're holy, you're good. A few chapters later, there's this crazy war you should read it. Ask Pastor Adam to preach it. But, but, but David is like running away and, and Mephibosheth's not there and then David comes back. I'm doing a lot of Second Samuel right here. And, and, and David comes back and Mephibosheth sees David and he says, you're here, you're here. And King David offers him to have all his stuff back or some of his stuff back. You know what Mephibosheth says? He says, let the other guy who lied to you about me have it all because you're back. Mephibosheth had nothing, and then he had everything, and then he just had the king, and that was enough for him. And, and I remember reading my favorite Bible story, not sure where to go in the scripture, and uh, not sure how to tell my wife, and wrestling with all that. And, and I believe the Holy Spirit laid this prayer on my heart, and, and I pray this daily now, and I want to end our message with this. It's this, that all I have is all I need, and I hold on to my king, and he holds on to me. That, that, that if I have everything in my life go wrong, if cancer crushes every cell in my body, I'm sorry that if cancer wrecks my body, that if my car breaks down, that if I can't pay off the student loans, that if all this stuff goes wrong, I have Jesus. And I hold on to him. Why? Because he holds on to me. Church, I want you to know none of your idols care about you. They don't hold on to you. They're marble and clay and they break. But Jesus is not an idol, he is God. And you don't have to chase him and break your body after him. He chases you while you chase him.
And I think of the, 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 the story of the, the, the son, I'm sorry, who, who where it says the father was looking for him and he sees his dad and he hugs him. Guys, Jesus is not distant. He's with you. He's present. He loves you. And if you're not a believer in Christ, here's the blessed hope of the gospel. God's not waiting for you to get it right. He's, asked, he's waiting for you to give him a hug. He's waiting for you to profess that he's king. I'll say it one more time and I'll pray. All I have is all I need if I have Jesus. And I hold on to my king. And by the word of God, I know that my king holds on to me. I know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither heights nor depths nor angels nor demons nor above or below nothing. I know Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus is even now actively pursuing me and pursuing you and pursuing those who don't even know him. So, so I, my challenge is to turn from idols, turn to Christ and rest in his arms. And that's what I'm going to do. And that's what you should do. And that's what we should all do. And then we can have a big old Baptist potluck in heaven. Amen? <laughs> yeah, you guys like that. Hey, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, you are holy above holies. You are steadfast and true. Lord, there has not been a day that you have not known me. You know my mistakes. You know my idols. You know the crevices of my heart where I hide my sin. You know my shortcomings. Yet, God, you still call me friend. You still call me child. And before I could get it right, Jesus Christ of Nazareth lived the perfect life, died on a cross, and was resurrected. Lord, I pray that my idols would seem small in the sight of the glory of Jesus. I pray that my hands would stay busy, that, that, that our hands would be so busy seeking Jesus, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, resting in Jesus, that we would never pick up another dead idol. Lord, I pray that you would become the king of our hearts, and that we would never work to remove you from your throne. Lord, we cannot wrestle you away from your glory, so Lord, don't let us try. May your Holy Spirit convict us, guide us, equip us, and lead us. And may we all know and rest in the fact that if we have Jesus, we have everything we need. And even now, in this moment, every heartbreak, every hurt, every celebration in the room, Jesus is holding on to us, and he'll never let us go. And we pray that in the name above all names, the name of a king who lives. We pray that in the name of the risen king and the whole church said loudly together, amen and amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church podcast.